and welcome back to the Fit Life Formula Podcast. My name is Brian Sippitz. I'm the founder and CEO of Advantage Strength in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At Advantage Strength, we help people between the ages of 35 and 65 to live more, play more, and feel strong so they can be active with their family and friends and get back to doing the things that they love to do. This is the official podcast of Advantage Strength, and we try to bring you topics in nutrition, training, uh, overall health, mindset, anything that's going to keep you moving for as long as you want to move. And today's topic is no different. This is episode 58. We are talking to Dr. Katie Weingartz, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist. And first of all, I'll, I'll tell you, I did not know that there was a specialty in the pelvic floor, but this, um, and you'll hear more about this in the episode, in the recording. Uh, and, and what this actually is, is we did a presentation or a seminar for our members. Of course, during COVID, this is a virtual seminar. Um, But based on the turnout, this is a topic that is interesting to people. It's a topic that isn't talked about a lot. And this is something that people are interested in. And I underestimated the the crowd that we would have. Um, Just based on this topic, I, I figured just because I hadn't heard much about it, that it wouldn't be that interesting to people. But a few of our members had asked uh, to, for more information on this. And as I am not the right person to do it, we went out and found the right people who could. Um, and so for this pelvic floor, we're talking about the region uh, around your belly button or a little bit below your belly button, which is sort of like a, a hammock that keeps all of your organs in place. Uh, it's responsible for, it's sort of the, it's the bottom of your core. It's responsible for um, bowel and bladder movements. And so it's something that's not brought up a lot. And so we wanted to have a conversation with our members and the conversation turned out to be really great. We went uh, over our way over our usual 20 minute, uh, 20 to 30 minute mark for the podcast here. And we went well over the hour that, uh, Katie had mentioned that, you know, that, that we would go. So, it was a good conversation, and again, this was rec- a recorded Zoom session with Dr. Katie Weingartz speaking of, on the pelvic floor. And the things we're going to hear about are, um, I should mention up front that the first part of the presentation is pretty anatomy heavy, which worked well in Katie's presentation uh, when we were live because we could see the visual aid and she could point to different things and, and all of that. So I apologize for that. Uh, you will learn a bunch of muscle names, but unfortunately, because this is a podcast, you probably won't get a good visual or a good lay of the land if if this is new for you. So um, if you can get through that part, we get to the questions and all of that in just a little bit. So um, stick with it through the anatomy part. It might be a tough listening experience, but it was good information as the presentation was live. And so, uh, so if we can get through it, there's a lot of good questions on the other side. The other thing that you're going to hear is an opportunity to give yourself a self exam. And so, you know, we didn't do it on the zoom call. It's, it's much better if you pause and do this on your own. Uh, but we, we have the opportunity to kind of give yourself a self exam and see if there is an issue, right? And that's something that should be done in the privacy of your home. Uh, again, it's it's not meant to be medical advice, but it is good to uh, become aware, be aware of your situation. And so, really interesting conversation on pelvic floor 
uh, bladder leakage, training through bladder leakage, um, training with bladder leakage, and training it to to be better, right? To to better your situation. So as we age, you know these these things pop up. So it's good to know about the pelvic floor and about its effect and how we can control it better. Just before we get into Dr. Weingart's presentation, I do want to share with you really quickly the FitLife formula. The name of this podcast comes from a formula that I put together that that sort of leads to the active life that you want to live. And so in terms of your activity level, the, the formula is three, two, one. Three days of something you love to do, two days a week of strength training, and one day a week where you do a workout that just sucks. It pushes you. It challenges you. Uh, it makes you tired, right? Um, and that's the formula, three, two, one. Okay? When, you're, when you're doing something you love to do, there's a really good chance you're going to get out there and get moving and, and do it. The strength training helps strengthen your tissues, strengthen your bones, and keep you strong and able to do the things that you love to do. And the one workout that sucks pushes your limits and makes sure that we're, we always have that high end so that we're always able to go, you know, take your heart rate to those high zones and that kind of stuff. So um, I just wanted to explain the formula really quickly. I realized for the first probably 55 episodes, I did not explain what that was up front. So I wanted to make sure you know what the, the formula is so you can keep that in mind. And it, and it is the thing that we use to frame all of these episodes. So thank you so much for joining our conversation about the pelvic, pelvic floor with Dr. Katie Weingartz from University of Michigan Medicine, uh, Physical Therapy. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with our conversation. Enjoy. Great to see everybody. Thanks for logging on. We're going to give people just a minute here to get situated. For those of you who are new, uh, who we have not met yet, thank you so much for going out on a limb for this conversation, trusting us to bring you good information. Um. This is by far, I would say, the biggest surprise to me. As we've gone through this pandemic, we've done, oh, maybe four or five different um, educational seminar things like this. Um, some of them were just for members. Some of them were, uh, you know, we did some trivia nights way back in the thick of things, uh, which was a lot of fun. But we like to try to get the community together as much as possible and share information that's going to help keep people healthy, happy, and moving. Uh, so I do appreciate you going out on a limb to join us this evening. Okay. All right. Well, it's, um, we've given the, the two minute window here. It looks like everybody excellent. Um, excellent zoom courtesy, everyone. We've got everybody muted. Well done. Uh, so I thank you for that. Well, let's go ahead and get rolling here. So just a little background on where this came from. And it, it actually stemmed from a member of ours who I would say late 2019 came to me and said very point blank, you know, you should do, you should do one of the educational things for um, women and like just controlling leakage in the gym because with sometimes with effort, with exertion comes, um, that realistic, very realistic, uh, chance of some leakage. So 
I give this member uh, a lot of credit for coming forward with this. And this has um, been a long time coming, you know, thinking about, I knew for sure that I couldn't do it, that I wouldn't be the one to, to share the information. So we started looking around and just when we were about to put things together, um, it was March of last year when we got shut down. So uh, other things took priority and um, we had a lot of time to search. And so now here we are. So in looking to, to find who would be the perfect person to present on this, um, a gynecologist didn't seem to be correct uh, because this, this isn't women's only. This is a, a, an issue for men and women. Um, you know, natural or, or like a naturopath or holistic, doc, uh, holistic health doctor didn't seem to be quite right either. And so the way that we found Katie, who's going to be presenting with us tonight, was uh, we had a staff meeting and I was, I, was, I was throwing it out there to the staff. Does anyone know anyone who would be good for this? And our intern, John, who you would only know if you're there in the evening, if, you come, if you're coming into the gym, John's wife is a physical therapist and knew about the pelvic floor specialists at University of Michigan. So she put us in touch and ultimately we ended up um, scoring Dr. Katie Weingartz, who is here tonight to chat with us about pelvic floor health. And um, I'm really excited. This, Based on the turnout, this is something that isn't talked about enough. It's something that I think there's a lot of interest in, but there's not a lot of resources. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm in the, in the fitness and health field and we work with physical therapists all the time. I didn't know until, uh, like two months ago that there was a, a pelvic floor specialty in, in physical therapy. So this will be a learning experience for me as well. I'm super excited to get going here. And with that, I'm going to introduce Katie Weingartz, who is, um, a doctor of physical therapy at, uh, and she's at the pelvic health uh, division in you're in Brighton, right, Katie? Yeah. So at the office in Brighton, um, sp specifically deals with pelvic health on a daily basis. Um, so we welcome Dr. Katie Weingartz. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. Thank you, Brian. And thank you everybody for calling in and getting your videos all turned on. Love your backgrounds. I don't know why everyone has nicer backgrounds than me, but this is my plant that I'm trying to keep alive. Um, <laughs> So I, I also kind of want to, I saw something in the chat real quick. I'll try not to get distracted by the chats, but I want to thank Brian um, for this wonderful opportunity to be able to speak with you all. Um, I, I get the luxury of speaking to um, my individual patients every single day. And, um, and it's, it's awesome. I have their medical history in front of me. I know exactly how to progress them. And um and it's, it's awesome, but getting a chance to speak in front of a larger group to share this information and to keep sharing this information is, um, is essential to helping reach more people. We are, we are not in competition. We are in this together. And I think when we can bridge those gaps between, you know, the exercise piece and the, and the physical therapy piece, it's just so awesome. And without Brian listening to his member, at the gym, this never would have happened. And, and I think that's really special. So thank you so much, um, for having me and thank you everybody for listening. Um, Brian and I got a chance to chit chat for a few minutes and I told him if I'm out of breath, well, we start this 
I have a reason. Um, my kids and I, my kids thought it would be nice to have a jump rope competition right before I headed into <laughs> this uh, meeting. It's kind of their bedtime right now. And so they were really like, we had to get in all of our mom and kid time before I started this. So um, I did calm down a little bit. I'm going to take a couple sips of water, but we'll go with that. So I'm going to try to share my screen. All right. Um, thank you. So I cannot necessarily, oh yeah, there we go. That's perfect. Okay. So we are going to get started talking about a really basic um, start to getting, um, talking about the core and the pelvic floor, because I feel like the core gets a lot of um, attention and it's kind of a buzzword. Am I working my core? How do I work my core? And um, what does my pelvic floor have to do with any of this? So we're going to get into that just a little bit. And I welcome so many questions at the end of my presentation. It's easier for me to answer your questions um, at the end and, and please write them down. Um, I'd like to be able to introduce the core and the pelvic floor anatomy and some of the interactions um, with respect to male and female athletes and their workouts. So part of this is um, obviously the anatomy part of that. It's, it's an, an important piece to kind of get to know what, where those muscles are what are those muscles and what are we going to do about them? Um, I'm going to talk about some common issues or things that you might want to look out for, but not to be afraid of and um, some workouts. And then how does this all connect? So coming up is the core, four layers of muscle tissue. We've got the inner and outer core and a diastasis recti, which is ends up being um, a separation of some of the muscles. So we'll talk about that. So we're going to start out with this because I think you all might be a little bit more familiar with the core. Um, and so I want to talk through it. You can see up here, I have this um, awesome diagram. At the top of the diagram, um, you can see the diaphragm. That's at the top. Mm -hmm. And the bottom of that is the pelvic floor. And the pelvic floor gets its name by being the floor of the pelvis. So everyone always says, um, I thought I was coming to pelvic floor exercises and we were getting on the floor to do exercises. And uh, that's not the case at all, right? So the pelvic floor gets its name because it's the bottom set of muscles at the, at the bottom of this canister. You can see from the back, we have the multifidi. The multifidi or multifidus are little short muscles that go in between the spine, like the segments of the spine. Sometimes. Um, like the vertebrae, if you're familiar with that verbiage. And then the transversus abdominis are the deep layer of muscles right through here running up and down. And those are the ones that actually you can see kind of touch this pelvic floor. And so a lot of times those muscles will work together. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And that's a really important communication. So this is the inner core. And you're going to notice on this slide, you'll see blue. And then on the next slide, we have the outer core. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on the next slide as well. But the outer core muscles are, oh, I need to back up for a second. The inner core muscles are a little bit more about stabilizing the spine, stabilizing the body. And those muscles do a lot of work without us even realizing it. They just kind of do the work in the background or they should do the work in the background. The outer core comes in and helps us move our spine, move our bodies in space. So these muscles um, include the erector spinae, which are not, that's not a, that's not a muscle that's included, but the erector spinae is a muscle that goes up and down the spine. It's really long and lean. 
the abdominal obliques, we have um, the internal and external obliques, the rectus abdominis, and the latissimus dorsi, which is another low back muscle, and the gluteus maximus, which those are not pictured on this screen. The reason why I chose this um, picture in particular is because it shows the different layers of abdominal tissues, and that will be helpful on the next slide as well. So on the outside looking in, um, it is the rectus abdominis in the middle. This is like where you'd think of the six pack. Then we've got the external and internal obliques. They make up the next layer. And if you can think like the deepest layer, the one that's closest to the insides of your body, the, the organs, is that transversus abdominis. So we're gonna go on um, to the next slide and, that, and this is a big slide, do not get scared, okay? But you guys are kind of familiar with the core muscles, so I'm hoping not to freak you out too much. So the muscles in green are the outer core and the muscles in blue, just the one muscle, is the inner core. And why we wanna um, talk about those two things is because we can use um, strategies to help train these muscles in the gym with your awesome personal trainers and your coaches to get the best and most optimal functioning of those muscles, whether it be lengthening or um, making that muscle lengthen or longer or shorter, you can still work that muscle. The reason I threw this slide in is because I think you guys are a little bit more advanced and you want to know where these muscles are attaching. Again, if you know where they're attaching, say the rectus abdominis is attaching at the rib cage at the top and down at the pubic bone, you can understand why you might have pelvic pain or urinary symptoms or anything else that might come along with high intensity exercise of these muscles. If you know where the muscle is attached, you can bring the bones that are attaching that muscle together and that's shortening the muscle and that gets a contraction. And if you lengthen that muscle, those two bones go away from each other and that's an elongation, okay? So really what I want to say is from superficial to deep, which superficial means the closest to your skin is right here, rectus abdominis. The next two layers, external and internal obliques, and then the deepest layer is the transversus abdominis. These all talk with and communicate with the rest of your body, your hips, your, um, your overall core, your low back, your pelvic floor. Um, the only other thing I want to say about this slide is that the fibers for the external obliques, they run up and down and they run forward. Usually I call the, ex the external obliques, um, I say they run down like this, like an X, like my fingertips, they're going down like an X. And then the, the internal obliques run up like this, okay? So we're just kind of getting the orientation of those muscles so that you can be so creative with all of your exercises. Um, now, what happens when the, when the rectus abdominis actually separates? This is really common um, in females postpartum and honestly forever, because what are we using to define postpartum? Um, I like to use the word forever partum, but I don't know if I read that or if I just made it up. The reason is, is because who really gets to define if we're postpartum or if we're um, kind of getting up to that age 60, 70, 80, are we no longer postpartum? Are we magically better or healed at that point? I'm not sure. Um, 
I, I kind of like to treat everybody forever postpartum because it's really important to get your muscles and your, and your ligaments back to how you want them to be. Um, so the other thing I want to point out though, is that this is also common in males and I would say way less common than females, but, um, mostly with like that untrained abdominal area and more specifically with an abdominal aortic, um, aneurysm. So basically we can see this in both, um, both genders and it can look different in different individuals. So I did throw something at the bottom of this slide with the diagnosis here, but at the bottom of the screen, it kind of, I, I put in this word diagnosis and that means like, well, what really constitutes how much space in between that rectus abdominis is actually a problem? Well, it's quite variable across research. Um, I threw in 16 millimeters, um, two inches below the belly button um, because that is found in research sometimes as the defining factor, but I would say I don't really use that. Um, if it's a problem for someone, it's a problem, whether it's a, um, you know, technical diagnosis or not. And it's not uncommon to have a, you know, double that distance. So like 16 million millimeters is about just over a half an inch. And it's not uncommon to have an inch or two, or maybe more than that and completely and totally function in the gym like you would not believe. Like high-performance athletes have abdominal diastasis rectis, and they are functioning phenomenally. Now, it is important that we check that. So that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit. Um, again, I want to say in research, the true definition and the true measurement is using calipers, which are like these little um, kind of like, I don't even know, uh, like little pincer things. And basically they open up and they show you how much distance that is almost like a, or another way to do it is a ruler or a, a measuring tape. But usually in the clinic, we're going to use finger widths and finger widths are much less reliable and valid because my finger width is different than yours is different than Brian's. And, um, when we check the diastasis recti, which I'm going to get to in a few minutes, it changes when we're in different positions. So just knowing that we're going to check the borders of the rectus abdominis, for example, we can check the borders right here down the middle, and we can check them all the way right here, right here. Um, we're going to look for, are the borders firm? Are they irregular? Are they boggy? Are they mushy? Some of the details that we use when we're describing, what does that border feel like? Because it matters. Um, the other thing we want to talk about is how long is the diastasis recti? So does it does that diastasis recti split all the way down the middle for the whole length, or does it is it a lot smaller? It's just at the belly button, or just under the belly button, or just above it? And you can see those different variations. Um, I can answer some specific questions about that later because I feel like we're going to have some questions about that. But I really just wanted to introduce you to that and let you know that it's not always. Um, the diagnosis of diastasis recti isn't always that you fear what, what exercises you're going to do. I really want to open up your possibilities for exercise instead of limit them. Um, so I kind of alluded to this on the, on the slide before, but, um, but I was talking about how to assess this diastasis recti. And um, I want you to feel like you can do this on your own sitting right here in this presentation. You can feel your belly button. You can take your two fingers and put that on your belly button. I'll try to show you. 
but put your put your fingers on your belly button right here and check where you're at. Does it feel like it sinks in? Does it feel like it goes so far that you're touching your intestines? Does it feel like it's really tight and taut? What does it change when you squat, when you stand, maybe when you're laying down? Um, and, and maybe when you're laying down with a lift of your head versus laying down with a leg raise, do not be surprised if it changes in those different positions. Okay. I'm going to pause right here in the middle of this slide just to, um, make sure everybody's doing okay. And, um, and that my speed and everything, you can hear me clearly and everything. I'm just taking a pause. Oh, thumbs up. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great. Are you up for questions at this point or would you rather take those at the end? Um, let's keep going. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to explain way more. Okay. So when does the diastasis become a limiting factor in your exercise progression? So I just want to point out that there's a lot of conflicting data out there, whether or not we should exercise or not exercise professional professionals across the pelvic health spectrum personal trainers, physical therapists, physicians, um, anybody along this line, everybody's doing research on it and almost nobody's agreeing. But um, something I do want to say is that there's, there's not, there's not research that is pointing all in one direction or all in the other direction. And that's why I threw this in here. So sometimes there's a misconception that if you have a diastasis recti, you are at risk for a pelvic organ prolapse. Now, I did not define that on purpose because it's going down a rabbit hole, but a, a pelvic organ prolapse, prolapse means that you have a little bit of extra tissue that comes out of the vagina or the rectum, depending on male or female. And it is um, something that a, a large percentage of the population can struggle with throughout um, their lifetime. But I want to make clear that the evidence is not pointing that if you have a diastasis recti, you cannot work out because you might get a pelvic organ prolapse. That's just not true. So if anybody was thinking that it's not true, and I'll talk about it more in the question and answer session, if anybody wants to ask me. So um, if you have a diastasis recti though, there again is no wrong way to train it. You can try training the inner core muscles first, those are those stabilizer muscles of the core. They're, they're the stabilizer muscles of the spine and the whole rest of the body. You can also then try the outer core muscles. So if someone is really struggling with like a rectus abdominis um, exercise, like a crunch or a V up or um, something like that, and they're not feeling comfortable or just not feeling confident, they're like, no, I'm too weak. I don't want to do that. Um, that's okay. Go with what you feel. If you don't feel right doing that, don't do it. Okay, back it down a little bit. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, try not to strain too much. That means like the bearing down and pushing down really hard on your pelvic floor, sometimes like with a bowel movement, or some people will call that a Valsalva. But try not to do that when you're first kind of getting to know your abdominals and, and how that's going to work with your specific pelvic floor. And in the next breath, I'm going to say um, you, you can hold your breath, sometimes using your breath. Um, and holding your breath optimizes performance. And maybe your optimal performance means that you hold your breath at that time. And there's different strategies that we can do safely doing that. 
All right, here comes the pelvic floor. You guys all right? Yay, I see shaking head. Okay, so here's the pelvic floor. We have three layers of muscles that I'm not quizzing you on at the end, um, but I have the male pelvis on here and the female pelvis. And um, you can see some big similarities in these muscles. It almost looks like the same thing, um, except we have one extra little space in there, uh, but we share a lot of the muscles. So you're gonna see that as we kind of dive down into this. Again, the pelvic floor is made up of different muscle fibers as well. It's made up of some muscles that help us stabilize and we don't really think about them throughout the day. They're just there. They just work for us when we want them to. They're like the inner core muscles, except they're the pelvic floor, which are the inner core. And then we also have um, the outer um, or the um, other type of muscle fibers that are meant to be quick and let go, quick and let go. And sometimes those are the ones that help us get through some of those tough jump rope activities that we do before our presentation. Okay, so here we go. So layer one muscles, I tried to label these for you guys. Um, I hope that it makes sense, but I'll go back if you have any questions. Um, uh, both, both of these are labeled. So you're just gonna go through the most superficial muscles, which are the ones that are closest to the skin. And those are the easiest for you to feel when you're assessing yourself. And I'm gonna talk through a, a self-assessment in a minute. Um, oof, I'm a little behind on time. Okay, uh, bulbocavernosis. Sometimes in the males, that's going to be called bulbospongiosis. Um, it really doesn't matter. You can call it what you want. Ischiocavernosis goes right along the, um, the pubic bone. And I swore I was going to have my pelvic floor model here for you so I could show you on the screen, but I didn't have that ready for you. And then we have superficial transverse perineal muscle. And that's going to be going, um, if you look at the screen for a second, um, here's my cursor. Here's the ischial tuberosity on the right. Here's the ischial tuberosity on the left. We sometimes call this the sit bones because when you're sitting down and you kind of rock back and forth in your chair, you can kind of feel that those bones are what you're kind of rocking back and forth on. And um, obviously on the female, here's the ischial tuberosity. You can see that a little bit more clear on this picture because there's no fascia or connective tissue on it. And then this is the other one. And you can see that muscles going directly across. Um, the layer two muscles, they're not technically named the bladder muscles, but I like to use that because they're really close to the bladder. This is only, this is only the female picture. I didn't have a good male picture to use for you all, but I will, I will go through it with you, um, with the males. It's just as important, but most of the, um, the biggest difference is, is that you're going to have, um, the external urethral sphincter, it's going to be tucked up right next to the prostate. And that that's very important too. We'll get to, um, it's a little bit out of the scope of this, um, presentation, but the external urethral, urethral sphincter is going to be, um, the circular muscle that helps close the opening to the bladder. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk through right now. So Number one on here is called a compressor urethra. It means that the bladder neck is being closed. Number two, urethrovaginalis. It, it covers the urethra and then it goes down and goes around the vagina, almost like a figure eight, although this picture doesn't look like a figure eight, but it is. 
Uh, number three is the external urethral sphincter, or sometimes just called the urethral sphincter. And then you can see the deep transverse perineal muscle, which is literally right underneath that superficial one. Okay, so there's two muscles, a little bit deeper, a little bit more superficial that are going to help us out. Okay, layer three, the levator ani. Um, the levator ani is made up of three muscles, very difficult to see on this slide. I'm going to try to highlight them for you a little bit. Um, the levator ani is made up of three muscles. Um, the one right here, if you can see that, that's going to be puborectalis. It's labeled, but it's just tiny. And then we have, and the reason it gets its name is because it's touching the pubic bone and it wraps around the rectum. The next one comes the, um, the um, pubo coccygeus, because this is the pubic bone. And then this is actually the tailbone, the coccyx in the back. And then it goes around. There's two on, there's one on each side, two of them total. And then we have the iliococcygeus. The iliococcygeus goes way back here. Okay. Um, also included is the obturator internus. I don't know why I don't have that one listed here, but that would be considered in layer three. It was an oversight. Um, but uh, that's another hip muscle. That's a deep, deep hip muscle. You can see. I guess you can see it the best on this one right through here. Okay. Oh, okay. Don't want to scare you. Um, so these muscles are very important for us to kind of start getting aware of and being comfortable touching. And so that's why I'm going to kind of talk you all through a pelvic floor self-assessment um, on your own. If you're if you're in a space where you feel like you'd like to try this on your own, you can while I'm talking through it, but please don't do anything on the computer screen. It should be definitely in your own personal space, in your own personal time. That being said, I want to get you really comfortable um, with a self-check on your own. And so I'm going to sort of talk you through it. Okay. And I, I will say this is being recorded and everybody on this will have a link. So if you would rather wait and, and listen now and go through it later, that will be an option because all of you will get the link for this. So just keep that in mind as we go through. That's perfect. This is the pelvic floor self-check and I'm just kind of going through a really rough, um, uh, not a rough, a really easy way of starting to get comfortable with these muscles. So like I said, in your own private space, this is not in the gym, this is not out in front of other people. You can start checking these muscles on your own with or without clothing on. Depends on where you're at. If you're sitting over the toilet, you're in a special uh, or in a private space, you're in the shower. Those are some good times to kind of check. Um, and like I said, you can do this over clothing just to get comfortable. You're not really going to feel for the muscles that I'm feeling for. When I do an assessment, I'm feeling for all of these muscles. I'm recording every single thing and every detail that I find about your muscles. But when you're starting to look at this, you really just want to start with your fingertips between, um, between your legs, between the two sit bones, and it's, it's between the anus and the vagina or the anus and the scrotum. So that whole area is called the perineum. And that's where I want you to start touching. You actually can get so much information just by a little bit of touching in that area. Some questions that you can ask yourself are, do you feel any tightness or soreness in those muscles? Um, and 
And if you do, if you change positions, does that change how you feel or what those muscles feel like? And so I'll encourage you to change positions. And um, depending on what your what position you're in, understand that your muscles will change how they're oriented and it can sometimes change how they feel. So sometimes they may be tender in one position as you lean forward, but they might feel different as you lean back. It can feel different as you're standing or squatting versus if you're laying down, you kind of get the drill. Um, what do you do if you feel something that's tense or, or any tension there? Well, for one, it's just like every other muscle. It's just inside your body. Um, but really I'm just trying to get you to, to check the muscles from the outside of the body. So the more superficial muscles. Okay. Start between the sit bones, those two bones that you're sitting on and see if you can feel any tenderness there. If you feel any tenderness there that makes you feel uncomfortable, the first thing you want to do is talk to your doctor or your public health therapist, because we can do an evaluation and help ease some of those fears. We don't want you to feel like you have to take over and, and know everything that's down here. Like I said, I'm not quizzing you on these three layers of muscles. Um, I've been doing this just over 10 years now, and it's, it's not easy for people. It's just easy for me. I do it every day, and I can help guide you through that and ease some of your um, concerns or, or talk you through anything that you might need to know. But just starting there, just to know that that's where we're going to start looking at it is a big deal. So I am going to take a second. Um, I'm going to take a pause here and um, I'll keep, I'll, I'll allow some questions here if you'd like, but if it's um, a specific question about your pelvic floor or something that's a little bit more unique, let's wait till the end. But I want to talk about the content between the core and the pelvic floor and the self-check idea um, if you have any questions. If you're more comfortable with questions in the chat, we can do that as well. Definitely. I just pulled that up so that I can check if you guys have a question. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and maybe you're going to be talking about this, Katie. Is this, is this something that we would do monthly? Is this something that, that you should just have a, a constant check on or is it uh, something that you should check into if you're having pelvic pain or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question, Brian. I did not specify when to do this. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's variable, but what I typically say for women is to check around the same time of the month, every, every month. So check, um, sometime, um, usually a week after your menstruation can be a good time because the muscles are most of the time less tender, but males can check at any time and pick the same time of the month. Usually anyways, just so that it's a good, um, kind of understanding of where those muscles are at in space. You don't have to do this all the time. Um, I would just check to see as you're doing different exercises and different activities. Um, if you notice any tension, even in your abdomen or anything like that, that, that makes you think, Oh, I better check that out. Um, I also would say things can change based off of before a workout and after a workout. Things can change um, with a full bowel or an empty bowel, and they can also change with a full bladder and an empty bladder. So all really that there's a lot of detail involved with when and how, but I would say if you can just start somewhere, it will be helpful for the future. Okay. We got past the pelvic check. That's the hard part, guys. It's going to be okay. So 
here are some common issues. Um, what are we going to look for for red flags? What, what are some things that we want to know um, before we start to exercise? I really made this um, presentation in um, in response to Brian's request and to, to get you guys the information in the gym where you need it, not necessarily for the information that you need when you're in the physical therapy clinic. So um, I really wanted to give you an idea of what to look out for. So if you have recent tissue damage, and I'm talking more on a musculoskeletal um, terms here, um, but any like fractures or bone fractures, um, any ligamentous damage, um, if you tore your ACL, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and, and, or if you have any muscle tears, some common muscle things that might be related, um, to a female is going to be childbirth. Sometimes there can be what we would call a levator any tear, um, very out of the scope of, of this, um, presentation, but you guys learned about the levator any muscles and I'm not quizzing you, but you can see the attachment to the bone at the top. And sometimes there can be a tear with, um, a traumatic birth. So that is possible. Um, and the other thing I want to say is ask yourself, um, do I have a recent diagnosis from a physician that I have a pelvic organ prolapse? And again, that can be out of the vagina or it could be out of the rectum. Have you had any recent surgeries? Um, a recent surgery, we see a lot of um, patients post-surgery. Surgery. Sometimes that's a colon surgery. Sometimes that's a prostatectomy, which means the removal of a prostate most of the time based off of cancer. And um, other surgeries are hysterectomies and, and common abdominal surgeries that we're going to see. There's a lot of vaginal surgeries as well. Um, do you have any precautions from your doctor, such as lifting or cardiovascular changes? Like you have to keep your heart rate at a certain, um, at a certain number. And then also, have there been any changes with your heart or blood flow to your limbs? Because there are some things that limit your ability to do high-level training in a gym based off of those things. If you do have some tissue damage, um, rest assured that like one of the best things that we can do for tissue damage when it's appropriate is to start moving it. We want our tissues to be able to move. That is what we are. We stand up. We're walking humans. We move around. Even if you're not in the gym at all, say you um, are you, you don't go to the gym at all, but you go for walks with your dog every night. Um, do you take the trash out? Do you do the dishes? Do you, do you put dishes in and out of the dishwasher? All of those things are actually exercises. And those, um, are things that you, you would do on a regular basis that you would kind of want to know what's going on with my pelvic floor and how do I move my core, my spine in space while I do those things. Sorry, I know that was a short slide, but we've got a lot. So some of the exercises that I'm going to talk you through, um, you can see I literally only put five on here. These are some of my favorite ones for the dynamic core. I included some of the um, in, inner core and the outer core. I don't know why that is a video, but that's amazing. Um, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Um, okay, so what I'm going to start with is talking you through why I chose these um, particular exercises and why I did not choose more exercises to teach you. One, I'm already going past my limit for how much I can talk. Um, two, you have an excellent gym with personal trainers that are going to listen to you. And if they don't have the information, they're going to seek it out to give you the best 
possible performance. So you don't need me for that. You need Brian and you need to know what to watch out for and how to do this. You guys um, are pretty comfortable with probably a standing side bend. You can see the lady on the left has a weight in her hand and she's bending to the side. We're working mostly on um, obliques at that point, but we're also getting spinal motion to the left and to the right. Very important, okay? Outer core for that one. Inner core, right in the middle. The lady on her hands and knees, and she's reaching one arm out and the other arm out. Sometimes they call that bird dog. Um, probably pretty familiar with it. If not, I'm gonna explain it. That's multifidi. I love that one for a lot of reasons. You have to balance. You have to work on upper body strength to hold yourself up. You have to work on coordination to get your right leg, your left leg back with your right arm. And that simulates walking, running, anything like that. Um, let's go to the one on the bottom left, which is um, a, it's a, a half kneel chop. So she's got actually like a ball, a weighted medicine ball over her head. And she's gonna go across her body in a diagonal down to the other leg. I love that one. Again, she has to balance. She's using her whole body to do that exercise. This, this is like, there's too many things to even say what this is working because it's working in the inner core. It's working the outer core. It's working her balance. It's working her breathing system, uh, her you know respiratory function, and it's strengthening all at the same time. So I love that one. Let's go to the right with this cool V up. I'm ending with the V up though. Okay. Crocodile breathing, which is the lady laying down looking like she's not doing anything. Part of the inner core is your diaphragm, your respiratory diaphragm. So although you can't see her breathing, she's expanding her rib cage out to the side and back to the middle. She's expanding her rib cage forward. Can you take a big breath? Inhale and, and exhale with your, with your um, rib cage moving out to the side. Can you get a little bit more motion every time? See how that works for you because it's going to talk to your pelvic floor. Remember, it's on the top of that canister and the pelvic floor is on the bottom. Um, I hope you're not cringing by seeing this V up and wondering what the heck is the pelvic floor therapist doing talking about such a, a, a crazy exercise, but I, I really do like this one. I want to empower you all to work the outer core. I want you, I want you to be empowered to work the rectus abdominis, even if you have a pelvic organ prolapse, even if you have a diastasis recti. If this is your favorite exercise to do, keep doing it. There's nothing wrong with it. You're working your outer core. Okay. Um, so those are some of my favorites. Um, so let's connect and see why can we do those exercises that I was talking about? Um, so the question can be, am I going to hurt my pelvic floor muscles with exercise? Well, I think you're kind of finding out that my overall tone is not really, there is actually little evidence to support the fact that you're going to injure your pelvic floor with working out. I know. It's huge. If you look at the internet, if you look at all the pelvic floor gurus, they're going to tell you, don't do this exercise, do this one. You could hurt this. You could hurt that. Yeah, you can hurt yourself. You can hurt your ankle and your knee and your back too. Okay. But that's not limiting you in your exercise. I don't want this limiting you in your exercise. So let's talk about a little bit about that. There are, um, there's a couple research studies that I'm citing here. Um, there was a group of male and female studied, and I don't have the exact number, and I thought about it after I included it, but the people that had a higher physical activity level and included walking in their 
um, exercise routine had less stress urinary incontinence. Now, stress urinary incontinence is also not defined. So let me define that for you. Stress urinary incontinence is jumping and leaking, doing jumping rope, jumping on a trampoline. Um, it can also be coughing, sneezing, laughing, lifting. Okay. So Brian's um, member asked um, if heavy lifting could contribute to a little bit of leaking. And, um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but not really. Um, the other research study, a very large research study, again, um, showed that low physical activity had an increased likelihood of urinary leakage by two to three times their counterparts. So um, low physical activity is looking like it's contributing a little bit more to symptoms rather than more physical activity. So bonus, we can do more physical activity and not be afraid of um, hurting ourselves. So um, you do not have to answer this question on the chat, but um, I want to I want to get a little bit of the audience participating here. Which of these activities do you think um, creates the highest amount of pressure in the abdomen? And um, what rank them from your highest pressure to your lowest pressure? There's six of them. Again, don't feel like you have to include it in the chat. There's too many of you, and um, this is just kind of for fun. Okay, I'm going to go through it in a second. Do you think running is the highest pressure, crunches, sneezing, lifting 15 pounds from the floor, coughing, laughing? What rank those? Tell me what you think, okay? Um, and I want to see if you're surprised, okay? This slide is crazy too, and I'm sorry, it's a little confusing, but let me explain. We call pressures on the abdomen intra-abdominal pressures, okay? It's measured in centimeters of water. Don't ask me why. Okay, so as you can see on the side here, coughing creates the most intra-abdominal pressure. Coughing, okay? Next comes in laughing, then running, then sitting to standing. Kind of tied for five and six are the 15-pound lift from the floor and crunches. Now, if you guys were in person, you'd be like raising your hands right now. Like, why does crunches have too many numbers after it? The reason that crunches has too many numbers after it is that research is highly variable. There is no conclusion, basically. Why can one research study show crunches cause 18 um, centimeters of water and some research studies get all the way up to 68? We should ask ourselves that question. Are we going to limit someone doing crunches or doing V-ups because we think it creates pressure there because one study said it did? Or are we going to look at all the data and see, you know what? It's kind of variable. It might vary person to person. It might vary based on my physical abilities or my comorbidities or my, like some of the things that I'm related to. Um, so some interesting responses here. Sorry, I had to do that. Um, where did sneezing go? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Where did it go? I must have left it out. What the heck? Sneezing and coughing usually fall into the same thing. Um, but I don't know where it went. Good question. Sorry about that. Um, and, uh, and, and another thing I want to say about this too, um, interesting uh, topic there though, is um, when we think we're going to limit ourselves um, doing an exercise because we're fearing that there's putting too much pressure on it, like say um, a lift. Um, we're strong enough to do the lift, but we're a little bit afraid to leak. I'm going to ask you um, 
would you tell someone or would you stop coughing? I don't know if we can stop coughing. If we get bronchitis, we might just have to cough. Or if I were more funny, we would laugh a lot more and we'd be putting some pressure on our pelvic floor. So um, if you look at these pressures and if you're going to go based off of purely off of pressures, I want you to realize that there are some variability, there's some variability there. Um, and I'm going to go into that even just a little bit more. So, um, so how can I train in the gym to prevent urinary leakage? So you're kind of getting it. Um, I hope we can work on breathing. We can, we can work on abdominals on the core. We can work on the hips and we can work on different position changes. So all of those positions, all of those different exercises all come together and can really help you with, um, with controlling urinary leakage. If you do nothing, if you had, if you had no pelvic floor physical therapy ever, but you, you were doing these exercises, um, that overall helps your pelvic health in general. It helps you be able to control that. Now, if you're leaking and you've been doing all these exercises and you're like, shoot, she said, if I did these, I wouldn't leak. Then you might have to come see me. We might have to tweak that a little bit. There's so many different things that we we can tweak. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about really quickly, common exercises. These common exercises are some things that Brian and I talked about, um, but we're, we're talking about bridges, planks, side planks, pal-off press. You guys are pretty familiar with those. And those can be a part of your training as well. Those are a lot of st stability training. Um, some of the apnea exercises, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's where we hold our breath a little bit or where we breathe out and increase the rib cage um, excursion. There's, um, again, a whole nother topic related to those, but I wanted to throw them in there as a way of training. Um, you can try something different. Try some of those dynamic core exercises. Try a different position and keep keep trying for that variability. That's going to help you with the most. Um, the last thing I wanted to note is that there is an assumption that heavy weightlifting creates a negative impact on the pelvic floor. And there is not good research showing that that's actually true. If you see a weightlifter, a heavy weightlifter, an Olympic weightlifter, a CrossFit weightlifter, and they're peeing when they lift, we have to ask ourselves, do you think that's not okay? Or does that person lifting it not think it's okay? If that person lifting says, I just lift, lifted my maximum deadlift for the Olympics and I leaked a little bit, I don't really care. It's not your place or my place to tell them it's not okay. There is a tissue threshold for everything in our body. And if someone leaks and says that it's okay for them to leak, it's okay for them to leak. It's not up to us. If that person says, I really want to do my deadlifts, I really want to do my jumping jacks or running or anything. And I know I'm kind of go, going back and forth between lifting and, and impact, but um, if that person says, I want to stop leaking so that I can do X, Y, Z to enhance my performance, that's when we want to help them and tweak everything so that they can do that maximum performance and not leak. But we would be making a huge assumption that leaking bothers that person. And I know that's a stretch, but I want you to kind of think about that. No one really should get to tell us if it's okay for us to leak or not. It's up to us. And actually, research is showing that 
if you don't, if you stop doing that heavy weightlifting, you don't necessarily get a, you don't necessarily get um, an improvement in your pelvic floor. It doesn't positively impact your pelvic floor by stopping doing those exercises that you love, which are heavy lifting. So keep doing it if you want to. All right, we're almost done. How do you locate a pelvic health therapist? We, um, there are so many of us out there, but like Brian said, sometimes it's harder to find the resources. So I wanted to include this, um, this list of references. The Global Pelvic Health Alliance um, is an awesome organization across the whole world that connects all of us. So you can put in your area and find a therapist. Pelvicrehab.com, also awesome. That's where I was trained, a lot of my training from there. And the American Physical Therapy Association. Association. I did put my information on there, but we have 17 physical therapists that are trained in pelvic floor across the health system. Um, I just happened to be in Brighton with two other really awesome therapists. And then we're having another one join the team in about two weeks. So a uh, quick list of references. I probably use 7,000 more references putting this presentation <laughs> together, but I would really like to thank you all for your attention and for listening to this very important topic and open it up for questions. And I will do my best to answer them. And I'm sorry I went over time. Again, it's up to you. If you're more comfortable typing into the chat, um, that's fine. I have a couple teed up here, but I don't wanna take up the time if you have them. So if you have questions, go ahead and throw them out. Otherwise, I will, I will lead it off here. Oops. Can you hear me? Yes, Julie. Ah. Hi, yes. Um, I was just wondering, um, it was great to see those, the exercises, the specific ones that you recommend um, for strengthening, especially, you know, women getting older and, you know, you start to notice that <laughs> things, things don't, things don't stay the way they're supposed to. I was wondering um, if you have back issues, you know, if you have other, other issues that could prevent some of those things like that V up. Um, that would be really hard for me to do um, with my back. And I was yes. wondering what else. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when we talk about back conditions, um, and I don't expect you, thank you for the question. I don't expect you to tell me your medical history over the Zoom, but um, there are certain back conditions that allow us to do active range of motion. Um, and in I know that that's kind of out of the norm, right? So usually we say stabilize, stabilize, but if you are able to go into a range of motion, um, there are ways to modify that, um, to modify those exercises to get what you're looking for. Um, so it, it just depends on what your back condition is. But um, if you're looking to protect your low back um, from movement, um, that's a little bit different story. I'm I'm going to ask you a question back if yeah, that's okay. Would, yeah, this would be herniated herniated disc, and then I've I've got arthritis in my um, sacroiliac joints. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. So okay. So as we age, we have um, uh, most of us are going to go through a process of arthritis, and if it becomes symptomatic, is what the is is what the issue is. But for bone development, um, and for a, as we age, we want to keep um promoting, um, bone, um, density through, through our, especially like postmenopausal area. So herniated disc doesn't mean that you can't go through a, a range of motion, but I would say, yeah, the V up might be a little bit much for you. 
um, other exercises, stick with stabilization, and then work yourself into more active range of motion. If you go ahead and think about like a, a standing up and a side bend or a standing up or an extension, do you do any of those kind of movements in your workout? Or what does your workout tend to be? Like, just give me an idea. I, th- I think the the things that I've noticed, the, the one exercise I've noticed that's helped the most is the glute bridge mm-hmm. exercise. I've noticed that that really has helped a lot okay. um, with pain, both with pain and both with sort of control. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, Julie. That gives me such a good idea. So what you want to think about is how do you make that glute bridge a little bit harder? Can you go from a basic glute bridge to making your, um, the surface that your feet are on a little bit more unsteady? So you have to balance and stabilize a little bit more. Could you start to do a glute bridge with a leg extension? Could you do a glute bridge with an arm extension or with a medicine ball? Okay. Those are great ideas. Mm -hmm. So think about the exercises you love to do and then think that there's ways to tweak them. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. I see a couple, um, chats just a second. Let me check that out. Can we go back to the non-screen share view so we can see the gallery of people again? Um, my gallery of people is up. We still see your presentation. Maybe you need to unshare. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Just a second. There it is. Is that better? Okay. Good. Thank you for that comment. Yeah. Uh, I had a question. I was wondering, I know we use our core every day and things like that, but I was wondering if you suggest that we do core exercises every day. Like if we train strength three times a week, and maybe take the rest of the days off. Um, if we're really working to work on our core, should we train it every day? Or is it like every other muscle that sometimes it needs a break? Yeah, needs some variability for sure. Um, what I would say is when you train, um, really good question, by the way, thank you. Um, when you train, do you include, um, w- when you say the word train, do you mean um, the strengthening part of that? Or do you mean the do you include stretching as part of that yeah i think like uh strength training i think most everyone here almost does two to three times a week of strength training so on those days that we're not doing that if we're going for a run should we pair that with core or walk and pair it with core um or is just the moving around like you said in the other slide enough variability for us yeah and and i guess i would say yes you're right take it take the movement, do the movement. You can, um, strength train based on what you feel comfortable with, but I would say as part of your training includes some lengthening of that muscle or those muscles. So that might be a couple of, um, maybe that off day looks a little bit more like a stretching day or, um, or a breathing with stretching to elongate those muscles because they need if this is the, if this is the length of the muscle, here's a bone and here's a bone and there's a muscle in between it like this. And we're constantly shortening. We have to lengthen it. So is there a day where we can really focus on breathing and lengthening that muscle to give it more, what we would call range of motion in that actual muscle. So I would, I would encourage a little bit of, um, 
stretching or lengthening as part of that. And um, the reason is, is because the more available range you have with that muscle, even if it's the abdominals, um, the more it will, the easier it will be able to function in variable positions throughout everyday life. Like if you twist to get a cup out of the cabinet or something heavy off of a tall shelf or a low shelf, you want that ability, that dynamic core ability. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. I've got one here, Katie. So as a, as a coach, we think a lot about, um, for us, like a hip hinge is a main, is a major movement. And for that, it, it requires stability from your belly button or basically your pubic bone up through your shoulders. And so sometimes it's hard to describe how to brace and get strong through there. Um, we have a certain set of, of cues that we would use, but how would you describe somebody who, let's say you're getting ready to pick a box up off the floor or, mm-hmm. or, you know, in, in any way, maybe it's next to your foot. Maybe it's right in between your, mm-hmm. feet. how would you cue someone or how would you describe what someone should be doing to, to get strong from your, your pubic bone up through your shoulders? For sure. What an awesome question. I hope that I answer this for you. The hip hinge is tough. Um, Do you ever use a kettlebell behind the back um, to get people into that like position? Case by case. Okay. And my my next question back to you is how often do we lift a heavy box with perfect posture? Almost never. Ask me. I'll tell you. I just moved. Um, there's too many variables. There's odd shi- There's odd shaped boxes. But who has kids? Okay. I have wiggly kids. They do not stay put. They do not stay within my base of support. So I, I love. I love that we're working on hip hinge. It's an awesome posture, and I do it all the time. And I also do it case by case to to see what the patients need. But I would encourage them when they're okay with it to increase a little bit of that segmental mobility of the spine. Now, I think it was Julie that was asking a question about the back. And she said, how do I protect my back? Um, and um, And how do I make sure that I'm being safe with a, you know, degenerative disc or with arthritis. Well, we know that there is a pathology there. We know that it can be at risk for, um, for tissue breakdown. I'm so sorry. I think you might be able to hear my kids right now. Um, they're screaming out of the door, but what I'm going to say is keep your body within your range of motion that works and train it in that range. And even if that's a small range, that's okay. Um, I was going to try to stand up to show you guys a, like a hip hinge and some of my like, little things. But I don't know how it's going to be. So if we're thinking about a hip hinge like this, right? You're keeping your back pretty flat. You're getting your bottom out. You're getting your chest kind of up. You're bracing right through here. How do we teach that? Well, 
we can we can do all those little tweaks and we can put a, a kettlebell here or there, right? But can they go through that motion easily? And can they get all the way to the floor to pick up that box or that kid? Or do they have to have a little bit of bend in their spine? And I would say most of the time, if we're talking about function like boxes or kids, or even like an electrician or a heating, ventilation, air conditioning person, um, um, anybody that's performing maintenance on anything is deep down in squats, working on heavy machinery, and then trying to stand back up. And sometimes they need more, a, a little bit more dynamic ability for their core to be able to actually protect their spine. If we're teaching um, the hip hinge and only the hip hinge and never getting them out of their comfort zone a little bit at a time, then I think that we're going to miss out on some other risks that we have of training muscles only in a, in a, in a like stiff back position and using our legs is perfect. I teach that all the time. So I, I squat down, I teach the, you know, push through your legs, work with your, um, abdominals, work with breathing, sometimes breathe out on exertion. You know, if you have to hold your breath, sometimes that's okay too. But um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I really, I, I think that stabilization exercises are awesome and hip hinges are awesome. But I would also say if someone's looking to pick up a box that's 50 pounds off of the ground, I would start with going through active range of motion, not necessarily always with a hip hinge, because sometimes they might not be able to do that when they're trying to do it at home. And start with no weight, start with five pounds, increase the repetitions or increase how long it takes them to go down and back up and then go from there. Too much? No, not too much. And, and I'm, I'm all for, you know, dynamic core stabilization. I, I think for me, you know, we're usually talking about taking a sip of air, more of like a Valsalva type situation take a sip of air make your belly strong like you just sneezed like these are some of the things that we say a lot regardless of the movement um, okay. you know i didn't know if there was any sort of if i was missing something because i you know like i'm coaching from my perspective others might feel it the same feel it a different way um and so i was just curious if if that was really a something it was so individualized that that different people are going to need to hear different things. And I think that the majority of the coaches, and I think the majority of the physical therapists are going to, are going to um, emphasize posture, like you're saying, and, and being in this, in the optimal posture for the bones and the muscles to do um, their optimum, optimum performance with what we know biomechanically. That's what we've studied. That's what we know, but I'm just kind of throwing I'm kind of throwing a little bit of a challenge to the paradigm of how are we training and are we training for optimum function when posture can't be maintained or is it wrong if they do it out of that posture? I'm, I'm just asking, I'm just kind of asking the question and, and I understand that that's a huge challenge that I'm kind of putting out there for everybody. Can you, can you do this in a different way? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and then I, I can wrap up with this and, and let others ask questions. But, um, and we talked about this earlier when we, when we spoke is, is strength radiates from the middle out, right? So if, if you're not able to be strong in whatever position, that strength starts from the middle 
right. And, and works its way out. So um, the ability to be strong there and in whatever position and allow for movement, even with the strength is it's super interesting. Um, and for me, I, I guess I just asked because a, a perspective, like how can we help our members better work through that? Because it is, it's, it's, you know, if you're moving stuff around, you, you have to step over something, then you have to reach for something, then you have to pull it back, then you have to step back over that thing. And then, mm-hmm. so it's strength is, is not arms and legs. It's, it radiates from your core out. And so it's a really interesting. And our, our bodies will also get it done no matter what, meaning it will compensate, not always good compensation, sometimes that non, so not optimal compensations, but our body will get through it because we've got to get to that box or we've got to get to that kid. And, and it sometimes is out of what our comfort zone is. And so I would say when we are in the clinic setting or when we're in the gym setting, we have the luxury of watching our patients or our clients. And we can say, what is a common movement that you do? Oh, a common, a common, you know, um, a movement is I, I put my di- when I put my dishes in and out of the dishwasher, I'm really sore in my low back. So I would, I would simulate that activity. I would simulate to see how they're doing it because maybe they're already hip hinging and it's still painful. So maybe they're in the perfect posture, loading their dishwasher, which means not very much weight usually, and they're still in back pain. So do we keep up and maintain that? Or do we say, why don't you see, can you bend a little bit more through your back? Through your All the other things, but I go with watch them. Are they struggling through it? If you give them a cue, does it change? Does it change how they feel? If they feel better doing that motion, they can do that motion more often. And if they can get more repetitions or if they can increase the weight in that range of motion, we're, we know what the variables are to strength training. We can increase reps. We can increase weight. We can increase how many of those we do in a certain interval, that kind of thing. Watching them and asking them their most important. I mean, I'll have more if... Somebody please cut me off because I'll just keep asking questions. Yeah, why are you guys letting Brian ask all the questions? <laughs> maybe it's maybe I ask the best questions. This yeah. is great. This is really <laughs> great, Katie. I mean, uh, there's so much stuff that I've learned already. Um, absolutely. You know, I once had a yoga teacher that's had a T-shirt that said, "Ask me about my pelvic floor," and everybody <laughs> thought everybody thought that was hilarious, but. You know, it's just that it's so important, um, you know, and she, she worked with uh, a lot of women that were pregnant yeah. and, you know, that try, trying to, because, you, you know, you develop problems and, you know, people like, you know, Brian, you're, you're a man and you're young and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to get the, the, understand what it is to be a woman getting older and the problems that come along with that. So, you know, I really applaud you and, and the team and advantage for um, giving us something like this. This was so valuable um, to learn to learn this and to understand. It helped help you guys understand as coaches what the, the issues can be for, you know, why why I tell Evan I don't want to jump rope. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a there's a reason and he doesn't really understand why. So um, thank Katie, that was great. 
just mm-hmm. great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Julie. And and I think that there's for a long time been a little bit of a fear associated with doing the certain exercises that we're talking about, like jumping, jumping rope, jumping on a trampoline, heavy lifting. Um, and I, I mean, I guess I can share a little bit of my personal story is that a couple of years ago is when I really got into a little bit more of the female athlete perspective. Um, because I was postpartum, three children, vaginal deliveries, and I felt weak and I had zero time for myself and I had a decent career and I'm just too busy. And I didn't know even where to start. And I'm thinking here, I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I'm not like, I'm not even working out to my maximum potential. That female athlete, Anthony Lowe, a therapist, AKA physical therapist out of Australia. And he really teaches a little bit of rethinking paradigms and asking ourselves way more questions than answers. And it really helped me. Um, when I was at this class, he said, by the end of the weekend, I want you to deadlift your body weight. And if anyone else is getting heart palpitations right now, yes, I am too. Just thinking about that day. But um, I never thought I could do it. I thought it was dangerous. I thought he was being reckless. Um, And then throughout the weekend, he kept giving us more and more evidence, more and more research that says what you think is true. Look at the evidence. It's variable. So if you're going to limit yourself, stop coughing, stop sneezing and stop laughing first. That's everybody would shake their heads and be like, no, I can't do that. But basically over the weekend, I got and, and we, we trained up to, I lifted my body weight, I deadlifted my body weight and getting up to that point, I was in tears. I was completely broken down because I didn't think I could do it. I thought I was going to injure myself. And I thought, who is this guy thinking that I can do this? And um, it really did change my perspective a little bit. And it really taught me how to ask questions to people and what, what, what we can really do. And I don't mean to go out and tell you to deadlift your body weight today. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you that's kind of a little bit of my personal story about how I look at things a little bit differently. And if if I want to leak urine, um, it seems like maybe there's a, a a perception that like we all should not leak urine. But if my maximum performance means that I can deadlift my body weight, but I leak urine, that that would be my choice. Personally, it's not my choice, but um, but I, but I'm not there to, I'm not there to determine that I'm going to let my, I'm going to let my client determine that. So, um, so there's a lot of possibilities and I think there's a lot of fear, um, around exercising because the research just isn't really there saying that we, um, well, research, women's research is just in a whole nother thing, but women get cut out of research all the time based off of being on their menstruation, that what part of the phase their menstruation is what birth control they're on, um, if they're pregnant, if they're postpartum, everything is like too high risk. They don't want to jeopardize um, anything to include them in a research study. But because we don't have those research studies um, saying that we should not, like we're trying to get people to exercise more so that they're, we already know the um, World Health Organization like guidelines for pregnancy and postpartum and, and getting up to that 150 minutes per week over three sessions and two whole body strengthening, but, but it really takes like a, a, you know, a dedication to get our bodies into that performance and enhancement and feeling so good about ourselves. Again, it's important. 
And I don't mean to cut out males there either. There's um there's a whole piece about retraining, even a personal trainer um, who who may have some difficulties with um, pelvic pain or bowel or or um, sexual um, dysfunction, maybe like an ejaculation problem or something like that. We have a lot of different things like that that we see as well. And physical fitness is very important for males as well. And we don't want to fear getting back into the gym after say a prostate's removed. We want to teach them that, um, that actually more physical activity, it, it can really, really help with all of those things. Um, I have a question. Are there things that we can do? Are there, you smile every time I'm asking a question, like, like I'm going to challenge. Gonna okay. Um, so I've based on some things that I've seen, um, there are things that could be like considered resets or things that can bring back proper function without having to coach. Obviously you shared the three layers and, um, that's more than anybody could coach or even feel. Are there movements that can, if you're having some dysfunction, abdominal or pelvic floor dysfunction, are there things that we can do that can get us back to more natural or more, I guess, um, hardwired movement? Ooh, I love that question. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked it. It's, it's really cool. Okay. So there's, um, kind of like a principle of training that basically is if we cognitively or if we consciously think about how to retrain something like every time right before I sneeze, I'm going to do this little contraction of my muscles of the pelvic floor. It's very common. We teach it all the time. Can you try to squeeze right before you cough? Can you try to squeeze right before you lift that box? Can you try to do that? Um, It's a common cue that we use. And really what we're trying to do is get neuromuscular retraining. We're trying to make that conscious effort to do that. And we're going to try to repeat that multiple times over and over and over and over and over and over consciously to have that become more of a habit or an unconscious competent muscle. And so, yes, I do those little tricks and tips all the time, but I don't hold to my beliefs too long because as soon as I say, Hey, when you're, um, right before you're about to lift that box, just lift the box first. Don't do anything. I watch them lift it. I say, how was that? They say, it's okay. And now I say, go ahead and engage your pelvic floor, squeeze your pelvic floor. Like you're going to, um, stop pee, like you want to stop pee or, or gas, and then go ahead and do the lift. And if they say, yeah, Katie, that felt better. I say, okay, repeat it 10 times, maybe 15 times. They're like, yeah, that felt great. I feel so much better. I say, keep doing that. But then I say, will you do me a favor and check next week and see if you can do that without that cue to yourself, without doing anything, just lift the box. Because sometimes that's enough to reset and get the muscles to do it automatically. And and why do we want to consciously have to engage something when we know that there's going to be some automatic, hopefully, some automatic um, motion there anyways? Um, And what if you did that lift and you tried to do the pelvic floor muscle squeeze and you felt worse? Oh my gosh, I actually get pain in my abdomen with that. Oh, um, when I do that, it feels like the whole lift got harder to do. 
then I wouldn't use that as a positive strategy for them. I would say, let's do a different cue. Does it feel better when you actually try to push a little bit? Because oftentimes in the clinic, I find, I find pelvic floor muscles are actually in a tight fist and I have to spend three to four sessions teaching that person to let it go back down like this before I can even start to train the muscle again, just like you would with a stiff muscle um, in the quadriceps. You'd say, all right, you need to stretch that out a little bit. We, it's not even functioning right now. It's almost like turned off just because it's, it's overworked. Let's take one more question here and then uh, we'll let Katie get on about her evening. So if anybody has one ready to rock. I had a quick question. Hi. Um, so I'm a collegiate runner and I guess I am, I have a tendency to hip dip when I run. So I didn't know if you have any recommendations for that because I'm yeah. trying to work on it and get better at not doing that. So. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about optimizing your performance with running. Are you more endurance or more sprints? Endurance for sure. You're an endurance runner. Woohoo. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, and you're noticing that your hip is dipping when you are, um, can I say on stance phase or swing phase? Um, I would say swing and I notice I can really tell when I'm tired. So I know that like, I need to strengthen it somehow, but I just like, I'm trying to find a bunch of resources and things to do that I can get better. Okay. okay. Um, really good question. I'd love to see you run. <laughs> um, and, um, two, what happens when you're fatigued for why that hip keeps dropping? Is it that you're fatigued or is it that you're running out of a strategy that works up until that point? Uh, okay. That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Do you time yourself running? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what time it is when you run? Like, do you know what, um, what time you get to before it starts to do that? No, but I should keep track now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so once you find that, that's your threshold. and you work under that threshold and you use a different strategy. So if you notice your right hip is dropping on the swing phase, there's no one answer. <laughs> um, it, it would be really helpful for me to see you run, but you can try a couple of different strategies. Do you change your breathing when you get to that fatigue point? Um, do you change how your, um, your pelvic floor pushes off? I'm sorry, your, your um, toe pushes off right before swing phase. Do you let your leg extend? Do you have a different, um, like a different push off at that time? Do you think? I think so. I know I can tell my stride gets, um, shorter. Does it get oh, shorter? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so before you hit that fatigue mark, so if you know that it's at whatever minute you're at, um, before you hit that, um, why don't you, why don't you change a bit of your strategy? And I can't give you that strategy yet because I can't see you run. But if you're noticing that hip drop, well, you can try to over like over, overly in your head, you're thinking overly hike your hip. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you have to, you have to try a couple different strategies 
not in competition. And then, and then you're going to see like, do I get to that, that next minute or that next two minutes and still notice the hip drop? So like one thing is like, you can try to start breathing differently. Another one is you can try to shorten your stride like a minute or two before you hit that, um, before you hit that, um, point that, that minute, you can try to lean yourself just a tiny bit forward. So you're getting, um, so you're like changing your hip angle just a little bit before you do that. And you don't keep those. So all those strategies I just talked through, you don't keep those strategies the whole time. You don't like run in competition like that. You just do what Brian said and reset stuff. And so sometimes your body just needs that little bit of a reset, meaning some, something that seems very silly, like start breathing heavily, like something different, start breathing longer. See if you can add one second to your inhale and your exhale. Start, um, just do something different, anything different. Okay. If I could see you run, I could probably give you a lot more tips. <laughs> Thank you. That's very helpful. Or, or have like, I don't know if you have like a, like what, like your coach, do, like, do you, do you run in front of your coach and tell them about, tell them about it? Yeah. They can't figure it out yet. No, I were trying to like brainstorm it, I guess, but she's like, try and think about it more, but I'm like, I need more information and talk to more people. So, yeah. So first find your threshold and whatever that time threshold is, and then work from that. Okay. So then you'll know if you change one strategy, only one strategy at a time, you'll know, did you get, um, like, did it, did it improve your time? Did it improve your distance? Did it improve your performance? Um, the hip drop isn't necessarily a bad thing if your body needs to do that, but if it's limiting your performance, yeah, you want to tweak it. So find your threshold first and, and actually sometimes give yourself a day where you're not thinking about it. Don't even think about it. Just run. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. And um, so Katie, you had your information up there. Is there, is there a good way for people to contact you if they have additional questions or maybe questions that they weren't comfortable asking um, on the zoom call here? Yeah. Um, Brian, you have my email address. So when you post this, just put my email address in there. Um, And then our office phone number is on that page and it just changed the office number changed. So let me look it up one more time. Oh yeah. It's seven, three, four, nine, three, six, seven, zero, seven, zero. It's seven, three, four, nine, three, six, seven, zero, seven, zero. Or yeah, you can email me. Um, if you're writing this down, not waiting for Brian, you can, um, write down K A T I E D as in dog E N as in Nancy D E N at umish.edu. So that's my work email and I welcome your questions. Oh yeah, duh, I can type it right there, guys. Come on, help me to get with it. Oh, sorry, I forgot something anyways. med.umish.edu. Thank you both so much. Yeah, we'll wrap up with that. And and again, thank you so much, Katie. We really enjoyed it. And and honestly, this is just like you have um, probably 50 more directions you could go and rabbit holes you could go down. We 
we like, I think at the surface level knowledge for everybody is great. Getting, getting a little bit of everything that we got tonight. Um, and then figuring out what questions we really need to ask. And so if, if what this was, what questions do I need to ask? Um, or, you know, which part of this is, is, is strange or which part of this doesn't feel right. Then I think we definitely covered a lot of bases here tonight and, um, maybe nailed down some better questions to ask. So thank you so much. Cool. Yes. And I'll just wrap up by saying, keep challenging, um, keep challenging me, keep challenging your coaches, keep challenging yourselves so that you're always asking, um, how do we get better? I want you to challenge me when I say something crazy, like you, you can do a V up, um, you know, say, say like, Oh, that feels so weird. Um, keep challenging people, keep asking them for, for, um, more clarification and ways to enhance performance because the way we challenge each other and keep asking these deep, deep questions is the way we learn and the way that we do better. Okay. Perfect way to wrap up. Thank you all for joining us. And, uh, especially, you know, great to see our members tonight. If you aren't a member, thank you so much for, for taking a chance and giving up an hour and a half of your evening, which, um, you know, we did go longer than advertised, but it was great conversation. So thanks for giving up part of your evening and uh, hopefully you took a lot home. So uh, we'll follow up with everybody tomorrow. I'm going to go uh, get ready for bed tonight. But other than that, really enjoyed the conversation, Katie. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll be in touch. Maybe we need to do an athlete specific one. You're welcome. And I would love to do that. Good night, everybody. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 58 of the Fit Life Formula podcast. I hope you got a lot out of this conversation. I know, like I said during the presentation, I think if you are still walking away with questions, at least you're asking better questions and you know where to go with your questions. And uh, I think that's a big that's a big part of this um, is just knowing what questions to ask and knowing you know where to go and where to go to get help. So if you would like to contact Dr. Weingartz, feel free to do that. If there's anything at all that we can help you out with here at Advantage Strength, email me at brian at advantagestrength.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at advantagestrength.com. And we would be happy to help you out. We are running sessions in the gym. And if you prefer to stay home, we can help you out with our virtual membership, which we've developed through this COVID time and it's been working really well for our members. So if we can help out in any way, please reach out and let me know. Until then, be sure to follow the Fit Life Formula. That's three days a week of something you love to do, two days a week of strength training, and one workout that just sucks. We'll talk to you next time.